Lord God, that's why we're here. To be changed by you, to experience your presence, your grace, your mercy. And we do ask that as the scriptures are read and your word proclaimed, that you would speak anew to our hearts. That we would be transformed by your love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, mercy, self-control. That we would look more and more like your son Jesus. Today's scripture is from the Gospel of St. Matthew. These are Jesus' own words um, from the Sermon on the Mount found in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Let's share in God's good word together. You can't worship two gods at once. Loving one god, you'll end up hating the other. Adoration of one feeds contempt for the other. You can't worship God and money both. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. Nearly 10 years ago now, uh, we uh, joined a few other churches in Texas and Oklahoma and around the Midwest um, to become a part of what's known as Advent Conspiracy. Uh, Many of you are reading a book alongside me uh, and our staff uh, going into Christmas called Advent Conspiracy. And um, back in 08, 09, uh, we started to ask the question, what if we just decided we were going to do Christmas differently? What if we took one less present, spent less on our families, less on our friends, and honored Jesus on his birthday. Because, by the way, in case you didn't know this clue, Christmas is Jesus' birthday. Do you know that? Which means it's not your birthday. But we, can't, we sort of, if we're not careful, we actually treat Jesus' birthday as our birthday. Don't we? And wouldn't it be weird if you went to a birthday party and you got all the gifts for the birthday person? You see the weirdness in this, right? I mean, it's sort of an odd deal. And, and here's the really cool thing, and we'll talk a lot more about this next week. And that is because this church decided nearly 10 years ago that we would just begin to spend a little less. Now, the last few years, last five years, we've actually asked that we would spend at least a dollar more on the mission offering to the things that Jesus cares about on his birthday than we do on ourselves. And in the last five years alone, This church has given $836,000 outside the walls of this church. Nearly a million dollars in five years from our little church right here in Edmond. And it has done things like bring life-giving water to people in El Salvador and Guatemala. We've got a team there right now uh, putting in what I believe will be our 22nd and 23rd water well in less than 10 years. How cool is that? That's pretty cool. 
That's good. Yeah, you can clap for that. You're actually changing lives, saving lives, making a difference in the world. But you can't do everything, can you? We can't do everything. There are limited resources. And so if we're actually going to participate in the transformation of the world, we have to choose to spend less. Right? So we want to invite you today to be free, to actually enjoy Jesus' birthday and to feel free to spend less. It's okay. There is not a strong scriptural warrant for giving gifts at Christmas even. I know, like, whoa, we'll talk about that more in just a second. So if you'll take your sermon notes out, I I want to let you know this. That you don't have to buy expensive things to show your love to people. You don't. But you do have to pay attention to them. That you do. And my fear is that we're doing this backwards. Have you been to Walmart lately or shopping or around and, and watched a grown adult give a two- or three-year-old uh, a phone that cost $900 as a toy? You know you have. You see it all the time, right? You see somebody give their iPhone, right? Look at what those cost, and they just give it to them to play with and, and, and just to do whatever and in the hopes that, right, that the child shuts up or leaves them alone or gives you a moment of peace. And it's not just for the little ones, right? Any of you all have a surly teenager? You know that if you get them the latest Xbox game, you're going to get four days of pass, right? Till they get every character in the game, right? You're like, whoa, freedom. All I got to do is get this game and, you know, we can be out of town for three days. They won't know, right? So we, we actually can live this out backwards, because there's this, there's this tension between convenience, pleasure, ease of life, and relationship. Isn't there? And, and my fear is that more and more in the West, we choose ease of life, convenience, comfort over relationship. I mean, if, if you just laid out those four, which would you choose? It depends on the day, probably. And, and we, we're beginning to struggle. So here's what I really want you to know. I want you to know that. I also want you to know this, that you are more than a consumer. Will you say that with me? You are more than a consumer. You are much more. You were created for much more than that. As a matter of fact, you are a child of God. A child of God. Made in his very image and the very stuff of heaven. Higher than the angels, the scripture says. And that is precious. Look at somebody around you, if you can, and say, you are a child of God. Tell them. It's really important that you know that. You are more than a consumer. You are a child of God. Bryce, I'll tell you. You are a child of God. Okay, good. Okay, you guys got the same row there. All right? This is so important that you know this. All right? Because the world says, I love you for what you can do for me. Isn't that true? That's what the world says. I mean, try going to your boss tomorrow and going, hey, I want you to just love me for loving me. Don't expect anything from me from now on. Just love me. You are on your way out. Right? No, the world says I love you for what you can do for me. What you can do for me. And if we're not careful, without thinking about it, we'll start training up our children to believe this as well. Any of you all say to your kids, you better be good or Santa won't come. He won't give you presents. That's terrible. I mean, think about what you're teaching your child. We would like for you to behave and suck up to a stranger so that they'll give you presents while they break into your house at night. This is a terrible narrative. 
How about you say to your child, we'd like for you to be better behaved so that you can be a person of character, carry our family values. How about that? That works as well. Right? I mean, we have to be really careful about this or everything becomes transactional. God says, Jesus says, I love you because you're mine, not because of what you can do for me. And that's why I get so nervous when I hear pastors and, and preachers and, and people say things like, oh, God needs you to do this. No, he doesn't. He's God. God is all powerful. God doesn't need you to do stuff. Now, it would be a good idea for you and the world if you did do some of the things that Jesus said to do, like all of them. It would be a much better place. It would be heaven on earth. But make no mistake, God is not up in heaven worried to death about you doing your part. He knows. He's all powerful. And he's good. And he says, I love you because I love you because I love you because you're mine. Because you're mine. Chantel and I had the amazing privilege of going to uh, the burial site of St. John, who wrote the Gospel of John and 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. And it's up on the top of a hill that overlooks Ephesus, uh, the modern city of Salchuk now. And it's from there that he writes these words. Uh, and, and from Jesus' lips, he writes these down. He says, I do not call you servants any longer because the servant does not know what the master is doing, but I have called you what? Friends, right. Because I have made known to you everything that I have heard from my father. You did not choose me, read it with me, but I chose you. You are mine. Jesus chose you, chose humanity, chose all the world to be in relationship, chose those disciples. You are loved because you're loved because you're loved because you belong to Jesus. And he chose you. You need to know that. And I hope that frees you to really worship fully at Christmas. It's easier said than done, though, isn't it? In this culture, this time, every billboard, every magazine, every screen time, every radio commercial, I mean, they are telling you that if you don't spend, then you're not American. If you don't spend... You don't love your wife. Gee, many Christmas. Between Christmas and Valentine's Day. I mean, you think if you don't buy your wife a five-carat diamond, you're a schmuck. Right? I mean, it's, it's terrible. It is terrible. It, it's a terrible thing. The, the way people uh, manipulate and fear. And they say, look, if you can't do this, then, then you're not as good as. Right? So here's the thing. Did you know this? Here, there's a few problems. The, the first problem would be this. That we are expected... To spend how much on Christmas? What do you think? Any guesses? Oh, come on. Give me some good guesses. $1,000. Deb is our finance chair and she is spot on the money. Look at that. He guessed it straight up. $1,000. Now, that's actually low for Edmund. Um, it depends on who you talk to. Uh, Diane Sawyer is going to put it about $700 on average in all of America from uh, the very poorest to the poor to the very rich. Um, there's another organization that puts it, I think it's Gallup, at $885, uh, which they say is down a bit. There's an American research group that says it's $992, which is aptly up a bit. But 33% of folks are going to spend more than $1,000 at Christmas. And you happen, if you live close to the church within about eight miles, you live in the richest zip code in the state. And you're expected to spend really probably closer to $2,000 will be average around here. Between $1,500 and $2,000 because you happen to live in the area that does that sort of thing. Do you know how much you're going to spend this Christmas? If you don't, that's a problem too. You need a budget so you know how much you spend. 
because, now this is, this is where the crazy train just really goes on down uh, the track or off the rails or whatever analogy you want to use. And that is that shoppers in the United States, they rock up an average of $1,054 of debt every year. So if you're $4,000 in debt last year in November, you were $5,054 in debt in January, according to Market Watch's report last January, uh, looking back at Christmas of 2017. So isn't this weird that, that if you only spent $800 at Christmas, you're actually $1,054 in debt? Because the spending, once you get that going and you're just spending, you don't know what you're spending, you're doing that whole thing, it actually just becomes like part of your lifestyle, part of your habit. And you're spending money on New Year's and on parties and on this and on that. And next thing you know, you're spending more money than you even have. You're chaining yourself to um, you know, lending practices that are fairly questionable. And paying exorbitant interest in Jesus' name. In his name for his birthday. You you see how messed up that is? It's not supposed to be like that. God doesn't want that for you. He wants you to be free. So that when he asks you to do something, you can say yes to him and no to Visa. Because, you know, the, the Visa companies may not be as forgiving as the Lord. So we've got some problems in our culture. One of those, did you know this? This is really disturbing to me, that life expectancy in the United States is decreasing. It's going up in many other countries, but in our country, it's going down. It's been going down since 2016. Went down again in 2017. It's expected that it may go down again in 18. Uh, And if it does, it may be the longest slide of decreasing uh, life expectancy in our country in more than a century. That's really disturbing stuff. You know why? We're so isolated, we're killing ourselves. Suicide rates are way up. Opioid addiction, way up. Alcoholism, way up. All preventable stuff, way up. So in the book, Advent Conspiracy, uh, many of you are reading with me right now, the the authors, um, Rick McKinley, Chris C., Greg Holder, they write this. Uh, I I don't know that I would agree with this 100%, but this is what they write. Affluent America has virtually invented a whole new set of diseases. Obesity, arteriosclerosis, heart disease, stroke, lung cancer, cirrhosis of the liver, drug and alcohol addiction. So when more becomes our highest aim, they write, the greatest danger comes when we actually get what we pray for. More. More debt. More struggle. More to manage. More dissatisfaction. More envy. More. More is actually costing us a lot more than we'd like to admit. And so then we have this choice. I mean, you can kind of see those things here. Suicide uh, moved uh, the most. Um, you have things um, there that you don't see in the same rates or ways in other countries. Uh, one of the things that will be remarkable to you if you happen to travel uh, internationally, as Chantel and I have uh, for putting eyes on different work that we've been doing, uh, or our Israel trip last year, is you don't really see obesity in other countries. And you'll go four, five, six, seven days, and you'll think, huh. I haven't really seen a large person. It just, just doesn't exist. The food's very different, first of all. Uh, most of it's organic, grown there, eaten there. There's not a middleman in the same way that there is in the States. Less preservatives. There's all sorts of things around that. But you could argue, and you can argue about it if you want to, but, but the author argues that much of the things that are killing us and killing us more quickly, it's not about birth rates. Birth rates and mortality rates for babies are fine. It's about what our adult choices are about how we live, what we eat, what we drink, how much we sit. 
So our choice of convenience over relationship is costing us. And it's costing us a lot more than we would like to admit. So let's talk about shopping, shall we? Have anybody shopped in the last couple of weeks? Perhaps. Now, this is amazing. Amazon promises you fulfillment. Is that a true story? That is not a true story, friends. That is not a true story. Amazon can't offer you fulfillment. They can put stuff on your porch. But that's it. Or may, maybe you're like, oh, well, you know. But how cool is that? You can get on your phone and you be like, ooh, I want one of those. Or somebody said they want one of those. I want that. Click. Done. Right? Isn't that awesome? That's pretty awesome. Or anybody tired of going to Walmart? Oh, yeah. You don't have to go in. Just pick it up. Right? You order online, just drive up. They'll put it in the back of your car. Next month, you go back, you put it in your car or a week or however long it is for you. Now, think about this. How difficult is it to develop a relationship with the teenager that's going to take your order and put it in the back of your car and then ask you to push the button for yes? And then the next time you go, you get a different teenager that puts it in the back of your car and then hands you the thing and says, push the button for yes. I hear this is how it works. So, or the next time you go and they put this stuff in the back of your car and they, you hit the button for yes. Oh, and you have to switch out this or that, right? What is that relationship like? Do you know the name of your grocer? Do you know the name of the person that services your car? Do you know the name of most of the people in your life? Or are they just a convenience to you? Or it's a cheaper option for you? I mean, we do this stuff without thinking. We just, we just live into it. We think it's normal because that's how people live. That's how super affluent Western people live. We had a, an eye-opening experience last Saturday. We went to the market uh, in Turkey, uh, in Ephesus, in Selchuk. Now, what they do is they, they have these, uh, they're, they're normal roads. Um, a lot of it's cobblestone because it's ancient, right? I mean, it's from the times of Jesus. Um, and basically... Friday night or Saturday morning at like 3 in the morning, thousands of vendors come in from all over uh, the western part of the country uh, around that area, and they set up shop. Some of them with shoes and some of them with clothes, uh, some of them with nuts that they've picked that week, others with tomatoes and jalapenos. and uh, I mean, the mandolina oranges were just amazing, fresh there in season. And you go to the what they call bazaar, what we would call a bazaar, and the strawberries and the bananas, I and mean, it's just they just bring it there. And here's the thing. You can eat all of it. You can taste any of it that you want. They don't care because you're family, because you're a part of the community, because this, they're going to see you every Saturday, and everybody knows everybody. Um, our friend Michael, who works there, he said he went uh, to a church in the region, and he asked the guy, he said, well, uh, does your family go to this church? How long has your church been a part of this? I mean, how long has your family been a part of this church? And, he's, and the guy answered him. He says, uh, my family has been in this church for the last 300 years. That, that's different. A member of my family has been active in this church for the last 300 years. And, and so in this culture, like, I don't know about you, but I still remember the three grapes I stole and ate at Safeway when I was seven. And I still feel bad about it. I've asked for forgiveness, but grapes just make me feel guilty. Not here. They're like, eat it up. Oh, you want to try that kind of all over this thing or that thing? Fine. It's good. Because if you like it, you might buy from me next time or this time. If we're friends, we're family, come around. 
We'll see you next Saturday. And so um, our worker family there decided, they, they walked us down a street, they walked us through another street, they walked us down another street, and then finally, like after a long time, we, we come um, to this one market um, that Stephanie likes a lot. And, and so this is the way uh, they shop as a family of six. Everywhere we went for the last week, we went as a party of eight and a car that seated about three and a half. But, but you know, this is, this is what they look like. The people on the ends uh, are the people they've developed a relationship with over the last year when uh, Stephanie was pregnant with Lydia. Uh, she wasn't around yet. And they just fell in love. She thought, you know, these are wonderful people. We, they were still learning the language. They did more than a year of language study in Turkish. It's a very difficult language. It's, it's very German-like. Um, with a lot of like oohs and and and, and, and thing. I mean, I just thought everybody was sick for like the first two days. And I'm like, no, they're speaking. Like this is the language. I'm like, wow, this is very different. I have zero Turkish abilities. And and so one of the things is beautiful. Elizabeth, uh, some of you know her. We baptized her here. Um, she's three now, and she is all on all the time. And so one of the things I thought was really cool was when we. When we got there, she and I, we just had a, took a liking for each other just immediately. And she would give me these big hugs, and she'd give me a kiss. She's like, Pastor Mark, do this, and Pastor Mark, do that. And I mean, just, I want you to see this child. I mean, just gorgeous in every way. I mean, photogenic and, and beautiful and wonderful and sweet, you know, because I baptized her, and the Lord <laughs> fell on her, and she's just awesome. And then, like three days in... She was like, no. Like, ah. Like, like I'm going to eat you, and I don't like you anymore. And Chantel's now my best friend. She traded up, and the whole rest of the time she was with Chantel, of which I was grateful for. And, and it was, but imagine going to Bazaar with a three-year-old that's a million miles an hour. And, and just everywhere. And you're, you know, you're winding around and going thing. And, and why did we go all the way to the market? Well, because Stephanie has a precious, powerful, beautiful relationship with the family there by name. In a name I can't pronounce, but by name. They know each other. They love each other. And they took great care of Stephanie when she was pregnant. And, um, you know, they would, she would say, oh, well, I want this cucumber, this tomato. And they were like, no, no, no. We went and picked these special for you. No one else can have these but you. And they would give her the very best of the best, their first fruits as the Lord has taught us to do for him. And so here's the, the youngest one, Lydia. This will be the first time you've seen her. She's only four months old. She was born there in Turkey. And they love her. And, and Market was, was not like Walmart. They know each other. They care about each other. They catch up. This isn't something you're going to do in 10 minutes. This is something that will take you an hour or two because it's family. You talk about each other's lives, and they know what's going on in, in their lives, and they know what's going on in their lives, and how their family is, and how their kids are, and how their grandkids are, and how the harvest is this year. And they even know how much she weighs. <laughs> they don't even have to get a scale. They, they, they've got her down. I mean, do you, do you have the sense of joy and relationship that's there? I mean, she weighs like four and a half tomatoes. And, and while I don't understand all of it, I don't, I don't understand the language, I don't, I don't understand um, how important and vital it is to be able to have that kind of a relationship, to go from simply a customer, a consumer, 
and somehow cross a line into family. I don't understand all of it. But I know it takes time. It takes repetition. It takes intentionality. It takes patience. It takes hearing from God. And with no doubt in my mind at all, I know that Lydia is loved. I mean, can't you tell? Deeply loved. By people who know zero English. But they love her. They know how to care for her. They know how to feed her. Because our people are a stranger in their land. And they care for them. That's what humans do. Since we saw them last, Caleb has become a pastor's son. Our friend Michael has become a pastor of a church there. Um, uh, it was a part of a church that I visited three years ago when I was there. And so um, I went to go see the work, the work that they're doing. It's really incredible work, important work. Um, and it's slow work. Um, I don't know if you know this about Turkey, but it's about 97% Muslim. Um, about 0.2% Christian. Not even 1%. And so imagine uh, going through a town, going through a country where there's no Christmas, only winter, as C.S. Lewis would put it in the Chronicles of Narnia, always winter, never Christmas. They do have a few trees up, but they'll call those New Year's trees. And here's the truth about pastor's kids. When you become a pastor's kid, you're on the payroll, right? Although they don't get paid because they don't have a work visa, they're not allowed to get paid over there, right? So they can just be... They can be residents over there, uh, but they can't get paid. So he does what our folks do. Well, not everything they do, but you get the point, right? And then his older sister, Emily, is 13 and a half. She's very clear about the half, right? And she here is translating from Turkish to English on the fly. On the fly at 13 I mean, that's impressive, isn't it? it? It's one of four languages that she's speaking at the moment. She's working on uh, her. I don't know the other two. Her Spanish is not as good as her Turkish or English, but uh, 13 and a half. Um, and Neshe is a, is a Turkish believer there. Um, she's the Turkish pastor. Michael is the English pastor. And so when uh, Michael uh, does what he does, uh, he's translated one way, and when Neshe does what she does, she's translated back the other way. What's your 13-year-old do, doing today? I mean, that, that's something. In our name, by our grace, by God's grace. And, of course, Michael does a thing that pastors do. He puts up church decorations. Um, you know, just, just the life of a pastor of a, of a small church. And I think as I, as I look at this and as we experience this firsthand for a week... Uh, all eight of us together, um, that you, I began to get a sense that maybe there's a better way. You see, we talk about culture shock as you, as you go over there and culture shock as you come back. And, and it is true that, that your guts are never the same either direction. Um, if you've been close to me today, you know that I'm a tooting machine these days because the bacteria is just all a, a, a gas, so to speak. So... Um, don't be embarrassed by it. It's just life when you travel internationally. So um, here's the thing. You know, I was sort of struck by the lack of Christmas over there. And when we came back, to be truthful, I was really struck at the lack of Christmas here. 
in a different way. There's a lot of things that go on as Christmas. I mean, have you seen the Christmas specials on TV? Do they have anything at all to do with Christmas? I mean, most of them do not. I mean, Jesus' name isn't even mentioned in, in a lot of them. But it's the Christmas special because there happens to be a light or a tree or something. Right? Does this make sense to you? I mean, there were, there were no really decorations in the town. But if you come over here and there are decorations in the town, decorations for what? I mean, where, where's the message? Where's the news? Where's the story? And so it, it's, it's really disturbing to me both ways, both that way and this way. You're like, well, still, where, where is it? Where's, where's, the, where's the good news for people in this? So let's, let's talk about what Jesus actually did on his birthday. Well, according to Matthew, he receives how many gifts? Three. So on entering the house, the scripture says they saw the child with Mary's mother. They knelt down, they paid him homage, and they opened their treasure chest. They offered him gifts of, same with me, gold, frankincense, myrrh. Uh, there are lots of sermons out there that will tell you the significance and the import of those particular three gifts uh, and how it's tied to his messiahship. I recommend them too. They're beautiful sermons. But this is just one of the four gospels. Now, when you think about this, Oftentimes, it's sort of suspect when we look at one thing that is only found in one place. Like, you wonder if, like, we're supposed to follow that with our life. Um, we do this with things in the Bible all the time, right? So, if you know it's really important in the Bible, it's often repeated two, three, four, five, eight, twenty times. And this is the only place in the whole Bible where gifts are given to Jesus in this way. So, let, let's, let's look at Mark, the first written, by the way. And Mark, how many gifts does Jesus give? Zero. You start with John the Baptist, crazy John the Baptist, eating locusts and honey and out, you know, prophet in the wilderness, uh, prophet screaming out in the wilderness, repent, you know, that's how Mark starts. In Luke, it's equally weird. Again, zero gifts. And you start with a mute priest, Zechariah and Elizabeth, right? And then in John, in the beautiful gospel of John, God becomes flesh and is the greatest gift the world's ever seen comes to us but the gift is god himself and jesus so uh, this is not prescriptive it's just an idea that i want you to play with what if we chose to give three gifts and receive three gifts at christmas as a way to remember our place at the manger our place at the manger now here's the thing if somebody gives you your fourth gift don't be a jerk and be like oh no i'm a christian i'm only getting three no no of course not but if you've got a list of 20 you might want to pair that back and say, you know, maybe all of our Christmas lists ought to end at two. If we're going to follow Jesus and he got three, maybe, maybe, we ought to, maybe our list ought to be at two. One from the grandparents, one from the parents, maybe. I mean, think about it. Just an idea. Because, just imagine with me, uh, manger scenes, right? I mean, you've got Jesus' manger scene, right? Where he gets gold, frankincense, and myrrh. I mean, you've got that one. But is that what our Christmases look like? I mean, I really think our Christmases probably look more like this. I mean, don't they? Now, if I was an alien coming to Earth, and I was like, which one is God? Which one would you choose? Is it the one with three gifts or the one with 30 gifts? Which would you think you were worshiping? Now, I know it's not a surprise to you that in Edmond, Oklahoma, we worship our kids. I mean, that's not news. It's just really dangerous and damaging because our children are not gods. They're kids. And we need to treat them like kids, not gods. 
because they can't handle the responsibility of a God. And certainly not the Lord of Lords and King of Kings. So we need to be really careful what we're teaching our children and our actions of what we do. So let me, let me put it real simply. What do you think Jesus would like from you for his birthday? Now, I want to highlight from you because if I said, what do you think Jesus wants from his birthday? That's a pass, right? That's an easy, oh, world peace, maybe not. No, no, no. What's he want from you on his birthday? Have you asked him? He said, hey, Jesus, it's your birthday. What do you want? What do you want? So let me tell you what Jesus um, says about things uh, in this category. He says, first of all, don't capitalize money. Money's fine. I love the way Dallas Willard puts it. He says, it's better for Christians to have the money than the crooks, unless it makes you crooked. It's pretty good advice. So in Matthew 6, in the Sermon on the Mount, it says this. You can't worship two gods at once, loving God, you'll end up hating the other. Adoration of one feeds contempt for the other. You can't worship God and money both. We read that at the beginning of the sermon. Anybody catch that money was capitalized? Did it bother you? I mean, it really bothered me. I'm like, that's not right. That's not right. So I went back to the message. Eugene Peterson went a word for word, basically, or paraphrase of the Greek. And he did it on purpose. It's like that in the message Bible. And I thought, wow, that's brilliant. Because all of us English nerds are like, that's wrong. And he's like, exactly. Welcome to the party. It's not supposed to be capitalized. It's not a God. Or it's not supposed to be. Right? It's supposed to read like this. The Mark Foster version. Little, little M. Right? And money's fine. But it's not equal to God. It's not supposed to be above God. It's not supposed to be equal to God. It's supposed to be used to glorify God. And to bless the world. And then Jesus like, takes it up a level. And he says, you know what? Here's the thing. You can even be really religious and still love money. Just because we're in church doesn't give us a pass. He says the Pharisees, who were lovers of money, the leaders of the religious community, heard all this and they ridiculed Jesus. So he said to them, you are those who justify yourselves in the sight of others, but God knows your what? Your hearts. God knows. For what is prized by human beings is an abomination in the sight of God. Still true today. And then he makes it maybe as pointed as anywhere in the Bible in Mark 8. Jesus says this, what good is it to get everything on your Christmas list and lose your soul? I mean, he doesn't say Christmas list, but that's what he means. Same thing. He says, anyone who intends to come with me has to let me lead. You're not in the driver's seat. I am. Don't run from suffering. Embrace it. Follow me and I'll show you how. Self-help is no help at all. Self-sacrifice is the way. My way to saving yourself, your true self. What good would it do to get everything you want and lose you? The real you. What could you ever trade your soul for? Am I the only person who's had a loved one come up to me while I was on my phone and they said stuff? And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What? What? Because my soul was completely focused on my own pleasure and interest and not on the people around me. I I know it's just me. It might happen to you one day. But here's the thing that our founder, John Wesley, says. He says, every command in Scripture, he says, holy writ. But every command in holy writ is a covered promise. You can do this, friends. You really can't have life that is life. You can. And, and when Jesus commands it, we can do it. Not alone. Not without a community. Not without prayer. Not without his spirit. But we can do it. So when Jesus says, don't get caught up in the money thing, you can actually do that. It's possible. I've seen it. You can't. 
So our action steps to help you get free, really to, to get free and, and hopefully stay free. First of all, set a budget. If you don't have one, get one and say, we're going to spend less this Christmas. I mean, really. And, and the thing is, if, if you're already gone in debt this Christmas, I'm sorry. I should have preached it three weeks ago. But don't go more in debt. Just, just say, I don't have to. I don't have to. And somebody says, well, somebody else is going to be upset. You can say, well, I'm going to be really upset when I get the bill in January. And I can't pay it. Because the average new debt is $1,054 a year. Did you know that in America? Because people are more concerned about what other people think than about their own fiscal responsibility of their families or God. I should probably just end there, but I'll keep going. Why? Why do we need to spend less? Because, friends, when we spend less together, miracles happen around the world. Miracles happen around the world when we do it together. When we all spend a little less together, things like two new wells in Guatemala happen right before our eyes and thousands, maybe tens of thousands of people are saved, literally, their lives. So I want to I try something with you. We've done this a couple times at the church. It's always interesting. I want to invite you to choose a 24-hour day in the next two weeks to spend no money, zero dollars, as a reset for your identity, that you're more than a consumer. Now, I put 24-hour day because I know some of you are like, well, that's not hard. I'm not going to spend any money between two and five, like five days in a row in the morning, right? So 24 hours a day, like a whole day. And like, just, I mean, buy your food early and just say, no, I'm not going to pay any bills that day. We're not going to get gas that day. We're not going to eat out that day. We're not going to run a movie at home that day. We're not going to go to the movie. We're not going to eat popcorn. I mean, whatever. Go a whole day without having to spend money. When you're sad, you don't have to go to the mall or buy an ice cream or whatever. You can actually just be like, no, I can survive. And I guarantee you, you will be. You will be alive the next day, having spent no money. No money. And then this is interesting to me. I'd like for you to play with this. Use every advertisement as a cue to honor Jesus. So when the advertisement comes up, think, oh, that's interesting, but I'm not going to pay attention to that. I'm going to pay attention to Jesus every time. So I don't know if you've seen these or not. I hear they come out this time of year. December to remember sales event. Now, if that's your idea for your pastor, that's fine. But other than that, I'm teasing, teasing. What if when you see that pop up, instead of thinking about that or wishing for that or like, oh, I wish Chantel would get me that. I don't. But, you know, can you just say, you know, I'm more than what I drive. God says I am. I am. I'm, I'm more than what I drive. And... And when the super sexy angel Victoria Christmas commercial comes on, first of all, repent. (laughs) And then remember that you're more than your underwear. You are. You're more than your undies. And when the Crown Royal whiskey commercial comes on for Christmas, because everybody thinks you ought to get your grandma drunk for Christmas, in Jesus' name, think, no, the Lord has made me for more than that. I'm free of that. Thank God he's made me free of that. It makes sense. You realize we are living in crazy world. And, and so you just have to turn it back to God. Let him redeem it. And then finally, very simply, just ask Jesus what he wants for his birthday. Give it to him. And it probably won't be a thing. It'll probably be much harder than that. Or maybe easier than that. 
It might be something as simple as call your grandma. Forgive your husband. Play with your three-year-old all day without screen time. Outside. I know, sounds terrible, doesn't it? But yeah, I don't know what God's going to say to you, but whatever it is, it'll be good for you because it's a covered promise. It's a blessing. I invite you to step into it. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you that all your promises are good. All your commands are blessings. And help us to live into them. And we ask, Lord Jesus, that you come to us now. Give us the power and encouragement to be free of the world's demands. And be free in you and free indeed. We know we can only do it with you. And so we pray the prayer you taught us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we trespass those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever.